At, uh, at Easter, we sent parcels containing an Easter egg, a Y Easter booklet, and a card to all 2,000 inmates and staff at Nottingham and Foston prisons. And it was quite a simple gift on an individual level, but it had a huge impact, particularly on one inmate who wrote to us to say this, I was touched at how kind it was to have people from outside care enough to do that for us. Normally people will find someone else more worthy of any kind gesture than us in here. I've been in prison for over 10 years and I've not even seen an Easter egg in that all that time. To have someone think of us and do something nice for us really does mean a lot. It was so nice to have something to make us feel a little less worthless and to smile knowing someone thought kindly about us. I was struck by the way the writer talks about feeling worthless. Uh, He'd evidently been found guilty of a crime, but the idea that this would make him unworthy of kindness is so counter to the heart of God. Let me also tell you about Jeremy, who was at risk of becoming homeless as he uh, was released from prison. And as a church, we were able to find him somewhere to live and provide furniture and household items to fill it. And on the day he left prison, he was given toiletries, a food parcel, including some homemade cookies, lots of them evidently. And this was his response, which he is happy for me to share with you. Hello, everyone. Um, Well, Dave's brought me here today. Um, There's so many of you I've I've got to thank. Um, This is quite emotional. (laughs) Um, It's it's amazing. Um, The stuff you've done, the stuff you pulled together, the gifts. um, From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Um, Wow. The generosity is amazing. Um, I'm just, I'm grateful for everything that you've done in the last few days and the weeks. Dave's help um, is absolutely brilliant. Like, uh, I I feel part of something and I look forward to meeting you all and thanking you in person and uh, moving on with with my life. And this is a a great start and a great step. So thank you so, so much. And uh, God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy, and we look forward to meeting you here. Today we're continuing our series on the Kingdom of God, which by way of reminder is where we see the rule and the reign of God. It's not a geographical or a political kingdom, it's where God's will is done, it's where his nature is expressed. When the Kingdom of God breaks in, things which are wrong uh, are put right. And today I want to look with you at the issue of poverty And God's passionate desire to see the poor and vulnerable and people who are in difficult situations cared for. I'm told there are about 2,000 references to the poor in the Bible. And many years ago, author and speaker Tony Campolo was frustrated by his church leader's lack of engagement with this subject. I think, oh, that's a secondary issue. We're all about just the, the main and the plain of the gospel. And he did something rather challenging to make a point He took some scissors and he cut out from his Bible every single passage which refers to care for the poor. And then he gave it to his pastor saying, here's your Bible, full of holes. Pretty radical thing to do, but he made a very powerful point. Throughout the whole Bible, we see the coming of the kingdom and caring for those in poverty and oppression going hand in hand. For example, the story of the Exodus where the Israelites were oppressed as slaves in Egypt. 
God set his people free. But God wasn't just simply moving his people out of Egypt. He was also intervening on behalf of the poor and oppressed. And so we find in Deuteronomy 26, verse 6, the Egyptians ill-treated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. That's what he does. That's his nature. Having left Egypt, God gave a set of instructions through Moses uh, on what living under his rule and reign looked like. In other words, how he wanted his people to live, including quite a lot about how he wanted them to treat the poor. So here are a couple of examples of many. He says, there, uh, there need not be any poor among you, but if there is, Deuteronomy 15 and verse 7, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed. If God has poured wealth and blessing into your hand, keep it open. Don't be tight-fisted, but share what you have with those in need. And then Leviticus 23 and verse 22 says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or scatter or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor. God was pretty clear. You want to know what my will is? Look after the poor. And we see this in action in the reigns of King David and Solomon, which, as we saw before, give us just a little bit of a glimpse of what life could look like under God's rule and reign. And David wrote in Psalm 140, he wrote this, I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. Surely the righteous, oh, that's where it ends, I think, uh, yeah, upholds the cause of the needy. And he made it, the king, his business to do the same. He did the right thing for them and the nation flourished. Of course, there were still poor people in the nation and Solomon wrote uh, some proverbs addressing what some wealthy people were doing. So here we have Proverbs 22, verse 22. Do not exploit the poor because they're poor. In other words, because they can't defend themselves. Do not exploit them and do not crush the needy in court for the Lord will take up their case. And so we see in this, albeit imperfect picture of the kingdom, the needy are provided for and the oppressed are set free. Now after Solomon's reign, so we have David, Solomon, this is about 1000 BC, the nation of Israel divided into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom, which from that point on had two kings. And in time, both nations started to turn away from God's law. And they were warned over and over by the prophets, turn from your disobedience or God will cause another nation to conquer you and take you into captivity. It's going to be like it was in Egypt if you don't listen to this. And those warnings had an emphasis on God's heart for the poor. The prophets really didn't pull any punches in their language. For instance, the prophet Amos in Amos 5, says this, you, he's accusing them, you Israelites, you levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you, you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. And Isaiah 
wrote things like this in Isaiah 10. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. The Lord was saying, what on earth are you doing? You're doing to your own people what was once done to you in Egypt, and I will protect them from oppression just as I protected you. Now, there were some good kings from time to time, like Josiah, and this is how he's described in Jeremiah. It says, he defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? Interesting little jewel in there, giving us one answer to the question, what does it mean to know God? to defend the cause of the poor and needy. Despite the warnings and the occasional good king, both the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel were conquered uh, by other nations. The northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians in 722 BC and the southern kingdom to the Babylonians in 586 BC. So the prophets had warned, take care of the poor or bad things will happen. They happened. The prophets also painted a picture of what it will look like when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. Isaiah, for instance, he describes a future when the kingdom of God one day will be fully expressed with no more poverty, no more injustice, liberty from every kind of bondage. And Isaiah went on to say that being a true worshipper is a lot more than the sort of so-called religious stuff of attending worship at the temple or tabernacle, sacrificing, singing, and fasting. And so Isaiah 58 says this, speaking on behalf of God. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Verse 10, spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. And then, of course, we see in Jesus this aspect of the kingdom right up there in terms of his priorities. At the beginning of his ministry, he read from that book, Isaiah, and we find it for us in Luke chapter 4, recorded there. This is what it said, what he read from the scroll. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim, what? Good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And this little passage is so foundational to us as a church that a leather-bound Bible open at that page is buried in the foundations just below the corner there of the auditorium. As he describes what he's anointed to do, he begins with proclaiming a message of good news to the poor and freedom for those imprisoned, oppressed, those who were downtrodden in various ways. And Jesus demonstrated God's reign in so many ways over poverty, with outcasts, socially excluded people and so on. He fed thousands of hungry people. He forgave and restored social outcasts like prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners of all sorts. He healed lepers, 
and others who were excluded from society. And then when John the Baptist's disciples, John was in prison and he sent them to ask, are you the Messiah? Jesus' answer recalls the language again of Isaiah and this is what it says in Luke chapter 7. Go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, they would have been excluded outside of the city. They would have to ring a bell and say, unclean, unclean. They were brought back into society. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. A sign of being the Messiah, the one in whom God's kingdom had arrived, is that it is good news for the poor. So I think it's clear that caring for the poor and the kingdom of God are inextricably linked. In God's kingdom, there will ultimately be no more poverty. There'll be uh, no more oppression, no more injustice, no more bondage and captivity. We know there's a day coming when this will be a glorious reality. But we've seen throughout the series, although we get glimpses of his kingdom now, we also live in a time where God's kingdom simply is not fully expressed. Despite living in a relatively wealthy country, we are surrounded by needs. The Office for National Statistics reckons that Nottingham City is in the top 4% of the most deprived areas of the country, ranking 11th out of 317 possible districts in the top 4% of deprivation. Our job as a church is to submit ourselves to God and to do all we can to extend his rulership and express his nature. We're called to partner with him and be involved in bringing the kingdom to bear on issues such as poverty. So as we look at how we might do this, I think more important, first of all, than what we might physically do, is to look at this beginning with our hearts becoming aligned with God's heart. For me as a young man, I had really quite a limited awareness of what the Bible teaches about caring for people who are impoverished in various ways. And what radically changed things for me was the experience of engaging personally with people in poverty, people in homelessness, and experience, experiencing a heart change as my eyes were opened to their circumstances. I had very little contact with anyone who could be described as poor or underprivileged until I was 26 years old. When I started working for a Christian organization here in Nottingham, it was called Macedon Trust, uh, which many years later became Framework. And they had a couple of dozen houses accommodating about 100 people, mainly homeless, 16 to 25-year-olds. Many had been in the care system. Many were young offenders. And working there was a really rich, it was a life-transforming experience. It was really rich. It was also sometimes a little bit scary. I, along with other staff, were occasionally threatened by someone with a weapon or had to physically intervene in a fight, possibly including weapons, or even taking people to hospital after team members of mine had an altercation that got, altercation that got physical. And my job was to coordinate all the maintenance, the decoration and improvements to these houses, working with the residents who were all unemployed. We did nearly everything from changing a tap washer, decorating, carpeting, through to fitting central heating. And over the six months that I worked there, I developed some quite close relationships with some of these residents. I spent every day working with them, hearing their stories of growing up in a way that I didn't grow up, 
of not having privileges as I did have, of growing up perhaps in care homes or in family situations of horrendous abuse and violence. And I understood some of the reasons people might become involved in crime and homelessness at a young age. My eyes were open to how privileged I was and I was deeply moved by their stories. That year, what is that, 35 years ago, 1986, we were exploring our call to church leadership. And Debbie and I said to each other, if we ever get to lead a church, we want it to be a church which cares for the poor, where people in deprived circumstances feel welcome to be part of it, and for most of the people in the church to have an opportunity to minister to those in need. And that following, the following year, we had the opportunity to spend eight months in uh, Anaheim, California, which John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard uh, Movement, led. And as soon as we walked into that warehouse, it was clear that caring for those in need was a huge priority to that church. I spent most of my days there, I was interning as pastor on call, helping people in all manner of crises. I spent, uh, you know, people turned up to the church, a whole family living in a car, they'd run out of nappies for their baby, they'd run out of petrol and they had no food. And just stepping into those moments, we went to uh, feed homeless people in a deprived area. We went to Mexico with high school kids to look after children in an orphanage. This was a church where hundreds, perhaps thousands of people were involved in caring for those in need. Glimpsing God's compassion for those in need, caring for the sick, the hungry, those without a voice, those society has rejected or forgotten about, is part of Debbie and Mai's, my personal story. Debbie's and my personal story. Part of the story of the movement, the Vineyard Movement, the churches, of churches that we are a part of, and very much part of the story of this church. And I believe it's something we must guard and cherish and practice because it is very, very important to God himself. Many of you have served in our compassion ministries and beyond them, and you've had the experience of your heart being radically changed as you have engaged with people in need. Let me give you some examples of how we as a church are just currently serving those in need. Since the pandemic began, our Trent Compassion building behind me, the Arches, has been used as a food distribution centre for food banks across the city. Food poverty was just suddenly an issue for large numbers of people whose livelihoods and situations were hit by the pandemic. And with assistance from the government, we have distributed from there 109 tonnes of food of an estimated total value of £235,000 to 19 food banks. That's amazing. We've been working with the council as they move homeless people into properties which are often completely empty. Uh, you know, no curtains, sometimes no carpets, let alone white goods, furniture, household items, just simply empty properties. And Trent Compassion has been able to provide many of those much-needed items. A referral came for, through for a man who'd been hoarding and he was suffering with depression and drug and alcohol misuse. And the organization helping to declutter the property had, had to throw away almost everything, all the furniture, because it was in such a bad state. He had been sleeping on the floor. He didn't have anything to cook on, so he'd been cooking on a fire outside. The arches were able to very quickly provide him with a bed, a sofa, and a hot plate for him to cook on. 
Step forward, Money Advice, the debt uh, organization we run from here, helps people in situations of often crippling debt, not only helping them practically, but also lifting the very heavy mental burden that so often accompanies being in debt. We partner with Hope Into Action in running Swan House, providing temporary accommodation for homeless young women and their children. And one of the families living there was offered permanent housing on the proviso that they could source furniture for the property. So she had nothing. And so between Trent Compassion and Hope Into Action, she was provided much of what she needed, including a sofa, which turned out to be in her favorite color, and also a bed that didn't creak and wake up her daughter, which is what she had been sleeping on up to that point. There are so many ways, many, many ways that we're serving those in need. And if just after hearing me today, you you feel freshly inspired to respond, can I just invite you to go to trentv.org forward slash trentcompassion for more information, how you can get involved, or to see if there are items to be donated and, and so on. Now, you may not be able to directly serve in those areas, but if you are financially committed to Trent, be encouraged that your generosity is enabling us to have a huge impact for the kingdom of God in this area. And whether you or I are on a compassionate area of ministry rotor or not, I just want to encourage every one of us to invite the Lord to soften our hearts and to keep our eyes and ears open, watching, listening for what he is doing. When we come across needs and we're in a position to help and we sense God prompting us to to meet that need, let's not shy away from the inconvenience. I know many of you are already doing a great deal for those around you, buying a sandwich and a cup of coffee for someone on the streets, serving on the soup run. During lockdowns, many of you have organized food and prescription uh, for your vulnerable neighbors, pickups and so on. And be encouraged that as ambassadors of the kingdom, you are contributing to its advance. I'd really like to encourage those of you who are yet to think about how God might use you to reach out to those in need, to just think and pray and listen to the Lord in this area. That might be by getting involved in one of the areas of ministry that we have going on here at Trent. It may be that the Lord will bring to mind someone you know who is in need and prompt you to do something simple and practical for them, even this week. It may be that you'll have your eyes freshly open to the needs of others and be willing to interrupt your day to help them. It may be that you would adopt the habit of carrying a little bit of cash in your pocket and asking the Lord to prompt you when he wants someone else to be blessed by having that cash in their pocket. You never know how profound a small act of kindness might be for them. Whatever it is, God is passionate about those in need, caring for the sick, the hungry, those without a voice, those whose society has rejected. And as the church, we are called to partner with him in this aspect of the kingdom of God breaking in.